0: Uh, that sermon series last night at 10 17 p.m. uh, Sandy asked me and I wasn't right in the right frame of mind I was a little exhausted she said uh, which piece of fruit are you and that was it and it was completely out of context not like we were talking about church or the sermon series I think we were just getting ready for bed and, and life and she just said which piece of fruit are you and I and I sat there for a second going I should know the answer to this she she said it so clearly And then I thought, she maybe didn't say that. Maybe she said, how cute are you? And So then I had to ask her, and she said for tomorrow's sermon. And I, oh okay. And it just kind of reminded me we're weird a little bit uh, in the church. And so if you're new to church and you're new to the Bible and you're new to some of this, when you hear someone go like, "Oh, the fruit of the spirit," those of us who have kind of grown up in the church kind of makes sense. But if you're not, that's weird. Uh, Like, what is a fruit, and which fruit are you? Morning, Will. Um, And so that wasn't like directed. I'm just saying good morning. It's good to see you. I like your smiling face. So let's do this. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we've been uh, encouraging you, please bring your Bibles. Please bring the written Word of God. Uh, And uh, I would love for you to take that next step and start bringing your own Bibles. We have them in the chairs in front of you. But uh, having just been to Juarez last week and bringing my Bible There's nothing like my highlighted scriptures and notes in my Bible, and occasionally I'll ask you to highlight or underline a word, and so uh, start doing that. Look for a notebook, bring that, and start taking notes and continuing to dive into this. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, this morning gentleness, and self-control. The last... Three fruits are special. They're not better. They're just special. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think these are last on the list because they really give us an idea of what a mature Christian begins to look like as the spirit is kind of taking over. Remember uh, week one, we talked about the fact that we have this earthly flesh In us, and that there's a battle that's waged regularly. And sometimes, if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, that earthly flesh wins, and the Spirit of God, what He's doing, those fruits uh, aren't winning. Um, But uh, a mature Christian is starting to look like these last three fruits faithfulness, gentleness, and self. Control because we're able to then conquer the flesh and be filled with the Spirit within our lives. Robert Ringer, some of you know this name, this author's name, he wrote a book called this, Looking Out for Number One. Have any of you ever heard of this, been on the bestsellers list? The entire book is completely the opposite of what we're talking about this morning. So this isn't a plug for this book. Um, this is talking about gentleness in our life. And that entire book essentially said this, look out for yourself and put yourself first. Do everything you can to just think about you and make sure you are always number one. And about 16 months later, he wrote another book called Winning Through Intimidation. An interesting uh, title. And we might snicker at it even in the church. But you know and I know that if you were to go outside of these walls back into culture, secular culture, this is the message. This isn't abnormal. We see it as abnormal because we're in the church. We, we, some of us know the scriptures that say put others first, serve others first, think about others first. But this is our culture. And these are best-selling books not necessarily uh, the best practice for a Christ follower, but certainly common and popular in our world. You see, when we talk about gentleness and meekness, we read that Jesus said this, that the meek shall inherit the earth. The gentle or the meek shall inherit The earth. And then we also read about gentleness being a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're kind of wrestling with what is this gentleness? What does it mean to our lives? How do we apply it to our lives? And so that's what we want to do this morning is kind of unpack this gentleness. The Greeks understood immediately what Jesus was saying because they knew well the teachings of Aristotle. This is important for us. Sometimes we can only look at the scriptures, read those, and make our own assumptions. The reality is they were written to a very specific group of people uh, in a very specific time with a lot going on in culture. And so if we don't expand our view of reading the scriptures, expand that to really understanding what was really going on when they received this letter, we might miss it. It would be uh, the equivalent if you received a letter shortly after 9-11, And it had the context of 9-11 and and the heart behind 9-11 and the the misery and the pain and the fear associated with 9-11. Well, if you just read the letter by itself without knowing the context of when it was received, you might miss something. It's the same thing with these folks who received this letter and Aristotle who said that there is this virtue was the mean between the two extremes. And I'm going to explain this to you. Aristotle would teach that in the middle of rage, which is one extreme, or indifference would be gentleness of the spirit. That's what he taught. That's what he suggested to the people. And then he would also illustrate it with Socrates. Some of you know the story of Socrates from middle school and high school. Some of you, is a really long time ago. Socrates, even though he drank the poison, you guys remember the story. If if you have no idea who Socrates is, and you have no idea the story, you have Google assignment today. So just Google it and you can read the entire story. It's it's fascinating. But Socrates drank the poison and that he wasn't raging against authorities and he wasn't indifference as he stood before the council. Instead he was dying. And in his dying, he was speaking truth with clarity, with a calmness and a conviction and with a gentleness and a meekness in his life. This is how the listeners that received Jesus's words would have interpreted gentleness This word used. And so it just opens up a whole new story of how a letter is received. For us today, this fruit of gentleness has a whole host of words attached to it that translators have used to convey its meaning. Moderation, humility, forbearance, courtesy, considerateness, meekness, and kindness. We if we look at Jesus, we see how he dealt with sinners. And we're glad that we see this because this is how he deals with us, these despised sinners of the day. And Zacchaeus was a hated tax collector. Remember the story. Sometimes we can again we just read these stories and move on. He was not liked. Again, I don't know why, but often with biblical characters, I picture them short and stumpy. But he might have been super tall and lanky for whatever reason, that just comes to mind. So, no idea what he looks like, but Zacchaeus is this hated tax collector. But Jesus treated him with consideration and gave him a chance to express himself. He was gentle. The Pharisees were ready to stone a woman who was caught in adultery had her circled. But Jesus was gentle and he didn't even blast her with verbal stones of pain and punishment. He was gentle with her. He commanded her and commanded her to go and to sin no more. The gentle person is the one who takes all the facts into consideration. I think we would all agree we live in a day where we don't fact gather very well. We operate out of emotion, or gut instinct, or a posting, or a quick ad, or something that someone says in passing. And the Bible says to collect wisdom and to then be considerate. The gentle person is not one who's hard-hearted and makes quick, absolute judgments on a situation but is able to stand back and look at everything that's going on around them. Nowhere do we probably have the best illustration of gentleness than that of Jesus riding in on the donkey. We covered this several weeks ago during Palm Sunday, that Jesus takes his place in this triumphant entry that was celebrated Listen to the words of Matthew chapter 21 verse five. It says this, "Say to the daughter of Zion, "See, your king comes to you gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." Jesus certainly wasn't trying to impress anybody coming into Jerusalem. He wasn't looking for wows. He wasn't looking for accolades. He was just looking to be gentle. Why? Because what he was about to receive was the epitome of the opposite of gentle. And it's an example for us. How do we respond when venom is thrown our way? How do we respond when we're attacked? How do we respond when we're judged? How do we respond when an accusation is thrown at us? Do we respond with fists up or do we respond with gentleness? This is Jesus. There was a gentleness about him. There was a spirit about Jesus that basically said, My father's in control. I don't have to be. And again, if we look at our culture today, culture will say, You better be in control. You better have your ducks in a row. You better have things lined up. You better defend yourself. You better have a voice. You better march. You better picket. You better boycott. Defend you. And I'm sorry, but Jesus didn't live that way. Jesus came in gentle. God is in control. So, what does gentleness mean what does it look like we're going to get pretty practical here as we dig into this idea what does it mean to have gentleness growing in your spirit to have the the life and word of god growing in you to produce this gentleness what does it look like number one gentleness means our power is under god's control our power is under god's control Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. If you have your Bibles, it's not going to be on the screen. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 says this Always be full of joy in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. Always be full of joy. If you find yourself kind of snickery, you know, kind of prickly to people around you, You need to check yourself. That's not a fruit of the Lord. Somehow, the Spirit of God comes in and says, always be full of the joy of the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Verse 5, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming. And when we are walking in the fruit of gentleness, we have the power to be considerate to those around us. You don't have the power to be considerate to those around you on your own, which is why we see our world today not being considerate of one another. How many times have you heard someone say, why can't we just be nice to each other? Why can't we all just get along? We can't and we won't. It's sin. It will never happen. Stop looking for it. This world will never get along. This world will never live in harmony until Jesus comes again. It's not going to happen. But someone who is walking in the spirit of God of gentleness stands out. This means that we have the power to seek not revenge against those who treat us unfairly. That also means that we're careful with our words, and we'll get to that one. But we're careful with our words in regards to our, quote, rights, We live in such a right-dominated culture, at least in America. And we need to be careful with that. Because it's not shown in the Scriptures. The verse tells us, do this because the Lord is coming. Our perspective and our power of consideration of others is rooted in the Lord is coming. It's not rooted in tomorrow will be better than today. It's not rooted in if we elect this person life's going to get better. It's not rooted in if if my industry gets better wages life's just going to be better. It's not. And we can become so distracted with those things. Our hope and our driving force is that Jesus is coming again. That's our hope. That's our foundation. And gentleness comes with that. Number two, gentleness means our priorities are under God's control. Turn with me uh, two pages uh, prior to this in Philippians chapter two, verse four. Don't be selfish," verse three. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too, what they are doing. The result of this, the result in in allowing our priorities to be under God's control is we start looking out for the benefit of others first. First. Everywhere we go, everything we do, in every situation, we look for the benefit and the assistance and the love and the care for others first. And ourselves second. That's how the Christ followers have been known since the very, very beginning. Your brothers and sisters that you will spend eternity with, they struggled and fought for looking out for the interests of others first. That's who we are. As Christ followers. And the following verses tell us that our attitude should be the same of Jesus Christ. If you want to know if you're growing in faith, if if you want to know if you're becoming a mature person in the Spirit of God, then are you having the same mind of Jesus? Is that growing in you? Does it mean you're perfect? Absolutely not. But a good litmus test is I I try to look at it as six month increments. Is your mind of Christ growing today than it what more than it was six months ago, or or a year ago, or two years ago? It's good to evaluate. Because gentleness means our priorities are under God's control. Number three, gentleness means our words are under God's control. Now, I'm meddling, and I know that. I know that I'm meddling. Our words, next to our thoughts, are the thing that we possess and we rule over more than anything else, they're ours. Again, we live in a culture that says, you have a voice. The Bible says, keep your mouth shut. The world says, fight for you. The Bible says, turn the other cheek. I'm fully aware this is counterculture. But someone who is walking in the spirit of God and the fruit of gentleness that's coming up controls what comes out of their mouth. I can admit to you and and confess to you this has not always been the case in my life. But the Lord has grown this in me, and he still has a long way to go. Because what comes out of my mouth often is not pleasing to him. Either what is said, how is said, the tone, the the volume, the, the sarcasm behind it, it's not pleasing to him, and it needs to be. It needs to be under his authority. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4 says this Gentle words bring life and health. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Let me ask you if you've been the recipient of a deceitful tongue that has crushed your spirit. It's awful. It's awful to receive words that crush our spirits. Some of you have been young kids. You're older now, but you can remember words that were spoken to you that crushed your spirit. You can probably also remember words that were given to you that gave you life. The Bible says we do one or the other, that there isn't a lukewarmness to our words and that every word matters. And you know, it isn't the things that go in one ear and out the other. Those aren't the things that damage us. It's the things that go in one ear, get all mixed up, bounce around in our heads and in our hearts, and stay. Those are the ones that cause our problems. Our words must be under God's control if gentleness is going to be grown in us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says this, Watch the way that you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word is a gift. I want to just sit on this for a moment. Watch the way that you talk. That's convicting for me. I love to be sarcastic, it's kind of my love language. But it's not always helpful. And I have given several people the complete green light to call me on that when it, when it goes too far. And God's working on that with me. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. i got to admit and again confess that a, a cuss and curse word Will come out of my mouth at times. And I don't like that that happens, but it does. Uh, The week before Good Friday, I was going down our steps with a hot cup of coffee, and I slipped on our top step and went up in the air, and I didn't want to spill my coffee. And so I held onto it with both hands and landed on my back left side and cracked a couple of ribs on my left side. And and, oh, shoot! Came out. It's when you're glad your kids are glued to electronics because they didn't even notice. They didn't notice that I was hurt and they didn't notice that I cussed. Um... And I have that pain. Um, But this verse goes on to say, say only what helps. Each word is a gift. Friends, how often do you allow your words to only be words that help? Some of us wouldn't have much to say. We'd have to really work hard at it. And James is clear, isn't he? In James chapter three, verses six and eight, it says this, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's full of wickedness and poisons every part of the body. That's miserable. The tongue is set on fire by hell itself. That's bad and can turn our whole lives into a blazing flame of destruction and disaster. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's always ready to pour out its deadly poison. That is brutal. I don't know this for a fact, and I don't think Katie McClure is here. Is Katie here? No, is anyone else a dentist in this room? Okay, my non-scientific findings have been the mouth is the most disgusting place in the world. Next to feet. I'm not a fan of feet either. But the mouth, you know, my kids will sometimes say, can you see if my tonsils are swollen? I think that is the most grotesque Thing to look at with a flashlight, the mouth. Like every living organism is like camping out in there. It's, and I, don't, I don't even know how we kiss. It's just disgusting. That is not in the sermon. That is purely from the Lord. Anyways, if left to ourself, View it this way you don't brush your teeth, you don't floss, you don't use mouthwash, you're nasty. And if if that's the only conviction you receive today, then go in peace. Go brush your teeth. But our mouth, if left to themselves, they're gross. We have to brush, we have to wash, we have to disinfect, we have to clean it up. And if left to ourselves, not under the authority of God, our mouth, what comes out of our mouth is disgusting. Maybe you've been there. And you might say, well, nothing comes out of my mouth, but I sure do type it. It's the same thing. Gentleness means our expectations are under God's control. When we are gentle people, we not only place our power and our priorities and our words under God's control, but even our expectations. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Are you good at forgiving I have not always been good at forgiving. That has had to be something that the Lord has grown in me. I'm not saying like someone bumps into you and they go, oh, sorry about that. And you're like, hey, no problem. I'm talking about someone physically hurts you, somebody emotionally or mentally hurts you on purpose, somebody sexually hurts you. Someone spoke ill of you. They wronged you. They wronged you on purpose. They wronged you on accident. But they wronged you. What are your expectations for humanity? People will ask me all the time, hey, how's church going? I'm like, ah, it's church. There's people still there. You know that. You're one of them. I'm one of them we will wrong each other. We will hurt each other. We will let each other down. What are your expectations for people? Let me ask you, when someone uh, hurts you or, or when somebody disappoints you, what is your first response? Are you gentle or do you tend to be judgmental? Which one? When you get hurt, And you know exactly the kind of hurt that I'm talking about. You're backed into a corner and you are hurt or you're disappointed. What is your natural first tendency? If it's gentleness and humbleness, the fruit of the spirit is growing inside of you. If it's defensiveness and fight back and judgment and defensive, then that is the spirit of the flesh. It's that clear. Does that make you a horrible, terrible person? Not in any way. It just means that that fruit still needs to be nurtured and grown inside of you. If Christianity is anything, it's not people being perfect. That's good news for you. But it's people who want to follow Jesus and desire what God wants and then are willing to let God's grace cover and forgive every sin that they've ever committed and wipe the slate clean and makes them new people in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. This message is to us. We don't have all the fruits lined up and we're not perfect, but I wanna tell you something. If you notice an area of your life within the fruit of the Spirit that is lacking or struggling, do not camp out on that and beat yourself up. Pick yourself up. Bring yourself before the cross and allow God to continue to grow that within you. Newsflash. He already knows you're weak in that area. You're not going to shock Him. You're not going to go to Him in prayer and say, God, I'm really struggling with patience. And He's like, seriously? Seriously? I thought you had that one down. Pick up your chin. You are a child of God. You have been saved by the blood of Jesus. He loves you. He has a plan for you. And he is chiseling out your character. And then gave that, give that same expectation to others when they wrong you when they disappoint you give that same expectation of look i know i've wronged people i know i've said things i know i've stepped where i shouldn't and someone does that to me i give that same grace back in those expectations am i in any way saying this is easy you know better last one gentleness means our response is under god's control Gentle people are proactive. They're not reactive. Think about that for a moment. Those who are gentle, those who are allowing the Spirit of God to grow in their heart are proactive, not reactive. A proactive person is self-controlled. A reactive person is others-controlled. You might want to take a picture of this. Are you proactive or are you reactive? Think about when you go to work. Think about when you are uh, driving a car. Think about when you're at home with your kids. Think about when you're with neighbors or friends or in laws or other family members. Are you proactive and how you're going to approach them? Proactive and how you are going to respond to them? Proactive in how you see your boss or coworkers, or are you reactive? More times than not, if you are reactive, you're not going to be gentle, either within your heart, in your mind, or your outward actions. This is why the Bible says that the words of of the Lord should be readily available on your lips so that you can be proactive with it. If you know someone's a pain in the butt at work, then have a proactive mindset of forgiveness and grace and gentleness. If you know you're going into a meeting or, or, or you're about to have a difficult conversation with your kids, be proactive in asking God to give you the strength and the right frame of mind to approach that. Reactive is just based on circumstances. And I would be willing to bet, again, non uh, scientific study, we live in a world that's reactive. We react to social media posts because it bugs us and we don't agree. Somebody says something in a restaurant or at a family gathering and we don't agree with it or it rubs us off and we react to it. And oftentimes it's not with gentleness. It's harsh. You see, at any given moment, at any given time, at any given situation, we swing one way or another, self-controlled or others-controlled. One is the fruit of the spirit of gentleness growing, the other is the desires of the flesh is ruling. Haven't we all said on one occasion or another, you make me so mad? Or at least we've thought it, you probably thought it this morning or last night or sometime this week. Your spouse, your kids, a coworker, a neighbor drives you nuts. You make me so mad. A gentle person is not controlled by the response of others, they're God controlled. So I want to help you with that. And this comes from years of doing it wrong. How do you become a proactive person? This is what I want to give you the insight. You seek to understand and then to be understood. If you want to be proactive with your kids, if you want to be proactive with your spouse, if you want to be proactive with your neighbors, if you want to be proactive within your ministry, seek first to understand and then for you to be understood, not the other way around. We we live in a we live in a time where we want to be heard. One of my twins, Seth, will often say, You're not listening. The other day when he said it, I said, You're right. Because I want to be heard. But we seek to understand. And then to be understood. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 2 says this The wise person makes learning a joy, fools spout only foolishness. I found another verse. This has nothing to do with the sermon either, but. I found it, and I found it funny, and so I'd like to share that with you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 says, It is better to be patient. I guess this is part of the sermon. It is better to be patient than powerful. It is better to have self-control than to conquer a city. But the verse before that is what I want to share with you. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained by living a godly life some of you are severely blessed in the lord. It doesn't say anything about baldness, so I'm not I'm still looking for There's only a few times where baldness is mentioned and none of them are good. You see sometimes we do this reverse. We want to be understood before we can understand. We, and we talked about this during our Blueprint series when we looked at racism and uh, same-sex attraction and abortion, and the list goes on, that, that our job is not to be heard and not to defend and not to be right, but to listen and understand first. This is gentleness. Did you know that nothing makes the kingdom of God more compelling to unbelievers than Christians who demonstrate the spirit of God when they interact with them? It's not your words. It's not your fluid arguments. It's not all of your points so that you'll win the argument. It's you living the spirit of God in front of them. That's what wins the hearts of the lost. Jesus said it this way. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, what works? The fruit of the spirit. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. A life characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is powerful. unbelievers are, are not impressed with how they act how we act they're impressed by who we are especially under pressure Peter says a godly life silences our critics here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13 submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority or to the governors as sent for him For the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. A life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit cannot go unnoticed. It is so right. It is so good. It stands out like like a candle in a dark room. It sets you apart. And rightfully so, for you are a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, part of God's family adopted as sons and daughters. And for some people, it will make them uncomfortable and downright mad but there will always be a handful that say, there's something different about your gentleness. What is it? There's something different about your peace. What is it? There's something different about how you love others. What is it? The fruit of the Spirit is is grown and matured and cultivate it in our hearts so that we can give it away to the world around us. So that's gentleness. It's so good to be here. The church in Juarez, Mexico, the orphanages that we visited send their love and their greetings to you. They appreciate you more than you'll ever know. Hopefully you'll know it because you'll go with us. They received the gifts of blankets and t-shirts and socks and foot scrubs and lotions and bath bombs and all kinds of other bath stuff with such love and such thankfulness. And I share that just to let you know the trip went really, really well. and God is making some things so abundantly clear. But I also share it so that you know you are part of the greater church. We spent time in two uh, church- churches while we we're there and-, and worshiped and clapped, and-, and Alex and Miranda preached, and uh, it was incredible because we were the church. And so as we go into this time of worship, as we continue our time, you join with that church. And you join with that church in Kenya. And you join with that church in Rwanda and Uganda. You join with uh, the church in, what is it, Pittsburgh that uh, got shot up this last week. That man will try and destroy what God is doing in temple and in synagogue and in tent and in mortar. But he cannot destroy what God is doing. And that's why we worship. So let's stand together and give God our praises. God, we love you. We praise you. We worship. We, we thank you for the gift of gentleness. We need it more in, in our day today. We, we need more of that. We need to take everything within our presence and submit that under your authority and under your control. And the result will be more of a gentle heart. So I pray that you would draw us into your presence this morning. As we come to you in in song and worship, that you would help us, uh, as Alicia said this morning during group prayer, that we would close our eyes on the world and, and walk into your presence. So help us to do that this morning as we close our time in worship. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.